Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about impeachment. For comment and some historical analysis, we turn to Rick Perlstein. He's the award-winning author, most recently, of The Invisible Bridge, The Fall of Nixon and the Rise of Reagan. And he wrote the classic book, Nixonland, The Rise of a President and the Fracturing of America. It was a New York Times bestseller and was picked as one of the best nonfiction books of the year by over a dozen publications. Rick's former chief national correspondent for The Village Voice and a former online columnist for The New Republic and Rolling Stone. His journalism and essays have appeared all over the place, Newsweek, The New York Times, and The Nation. We reached him today at home in Chicago. Hi, Rick. Hi, John. I want to talk about public opinion then and now. At the start of the Trump impeachment hearings in the House last week, opinion polls showed 52% support for holding the hearings, 45% opposed, and even more surprising, support for removing Trump from office right now is 47% in favor, 45% opposed. I wonder at the beginning of impeachment hearings on Nixon, were there 47% in favor of removing him from office? Well, you have to remember that the thing developed quite gradually and quite slowly. So we're talking about impeachment. The impeachment process in the House Judiciary Committee was something that began and started working its way through the system in spring of summer 1974. So before that, in the summer of 1973, there were there were hearings on Watergate in the Senate that were led by Sam Irvin that began in May of 1973. And what really kind of broke the back of his popularity and got people started talking about impeachment was this thing called, you know, the Saturday Night Massacre, which happened in October of 1973, when there was a special prosecutor who demanded he produce the tapes, the evidence that he committed crimes, and he responded by firing the special prosecutor. And that's when, you know, seeing people showing up in the front of the White House 
wearing Uncle Sam suits and saying, you know, honk for impeachment and all that. So it was a very slow process, although I always like to point people out to the fact that, you know, we had our Saturday Night Massacre, which was the Comey firing, you know, two and a half years ago. So in a lot of ways, it's slower, right? But um, in this highly partisan atmosphere, I think people were willing to give the president a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. Don't forget the only poll that matters in 1972, he won 49 states and and something like 60% of the vote in the election. And my favorite poll result was a week before that, 60% of the public said that they trusted him more than they trusted George McGovern, who only got 29% in that poll. So he was a really, he was really good at his cover up. <laughs> he wasn't like, you know, Donald Trump who, you know, kind of spouted admissions to crimes, you know, on the public record, very different cats, very different processes. The thing that I'm repeating over and over again is that really Watergate fundamentally was about Richard Nixon trying to hide evidence because he knew that if the evidence came out, the world would know he was guilty and he had enough shame to realize that he would have to leave office. On the other hand, Donald Trump seems perfectly willing to, you know, do things like release the transcript and, you know, admit that he's guilty in, in public. And that's even more frightening because he knows that no matter how obvious his guilt is, he's always going to have a solid wall of people in the Republican Party willing to defend him. And he's not going to have to leave office at all because he has no shame. And he said that at the very beginning of the 2016 election campaign, that famous quote in the Iowa primary campaign where he said he could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and not lose any voters, talking about the loyalty of his base. Chosen to stage a natural experiment as to find out whether this is the case. He's clearly a very dedicated uh, social scientist. (laughs) Well, of course, Watergate is very much on the minds of everybody involved here. Nancy Pelosi said last week that Trump's pressure on Ukraine to uh, come up with dirt on Joe Biden, quote, makes what Nixon did look almost small, close quote. She said what Trump did was, quote, much worse than what Nixon did in covering up the burglary at the Democratic National Committee. I wonder if you agree with Nancy Pelosi on that. Well, if, she's, if, if she was so hot to try it against Trump, I want to know why she didn't get started on this thing a heck of a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they're both terrible and they're both unconstitutional and they're both profound threats to the constitutional order. I like to point out that if you really want a good parallel, if you want a secret foreign policy, run out of the basement of the White House against American policy, look at Iran-Contra, which everyone seems to have forgotten about, maybe because the Democrats really getting out the stomach to fight that one to the end. Well, remind us why the Iran-Contra affair in the late days of the Reagan administration seems like a a revealing parallel and what conclusions you draw from it. What happened in Iran-Contra was this unbelievably surreal scheme in which, you know, Ronald Reagan and, you know, the conservatives around him were desperate to funnel money to the anti-communist opposition, the Contras in Nicaragua, whom Reagan uh, announced for the moral equivalent equivalent of the founding fathers, even though they were, you know, murderous thugs. And there was very low public support for that. And Ronald Reagan, if you recall, kept on going on TV and giving, giving these hair on fire speeches, talking about how it's only this many miles away from San Antonio that, that that's being taken over by, you know, the communist conspiracy and no one in the public cared. So the people around him just decided they were going to do this on his own, you know, really 
pretty much with, with, with Reagan's knowing approval. And they chose a very strange way to do it. Americans kept on being seized as hostages by the allies of Iran in, in the Lebanese war that Reagan had chosen to get in the, involved in the middle of. This is rather far from Nicaragua, I believe. Rather. And, uh, but, they, but they needed cash and they wanted to get these guys out. So these kind of scumbag arms dealers would come to, to Washington and say, we, can, we have ties to moderates in the Iranian regime. And if you show good faith by selling us missiles in our war against Iraq, then we'll send the word and they'll release American hostages. And they would do it. You know, Reagan sent missiles to our enemy, Iran, and lo and behold, the hostages were not released anyway. So that was kind of one of the many scandalous things about this policy, even though it was supposedly stated American policy that we don't you know, negotiate with hostages. And they would sell the missiles that cost $18 million for $50 million, so there was that hustle, too. And they would take the extra money and they would send it to the Contras. And, and by the way, Oliver North would take some of it and buy snow tires and you know buy, buy a boat grow alarm for his house. So there was all kinds of grifting going on on the side. Surprise, surprise. But to make a long story short, you know, they created this kind of private foreign policy with their and, own funding and, sources, even after Congress had specifically passed laws outlawing sending military assistance to the Contras. And yet this did not end up with impeachment hearings against Reagan. Why not? Very, very much so. I think that the kind of mandarins who run Washington and the bipartisan foreign policy elite and the Democrats really didn't have the stomach to take this thing to the end because, you know, we had only chased the president out of office 13 years before that. Lyndon Johnson had kind of left office in basically a state of shame after the Vietnam War. He chose not to run for re-election. And I think people said enough is enough. And there really was this kind of too big to fail attitude that if we keep on taking on presidencies, then the kind of smooth functioning of the American system can't work. And the Republican Party received a very different signal, which was that basically it was open season. They had a uh, blank check. And, you know, the next Republican president is George H.W. Bush, and he pardons the Iran-Contra felons. We're hearing a lot of talk about pardons now from Donald Trump. And then, of course, the next president, uh, Republican president after that, George W. Bush, does all kinds of chicanery around spying on American citizens. And Barack Obama says after that, that, you know, it's really behooves us to look forward and not backward. And then we have financial crisis and there's no accountability for that. Again, too big to fail. And now we have a president who's really dictatorially minded, who seems determined to take this thing to its uttermost. Ed Cox, Nixon's uh, son-in-law, was on Fox News recently, told Fox News that Trump told him that Nixon should have, quote, fought all the way through the impeachment trial in the Senate instead of resigning. What do you think about that? Uh, Well, you know, if that had happened, he would have received a pretty profound humiliation because I think when the Republican leadership went to him, what they told him was that he he only had something like 15 votes in the Senate. You know, that's the Roy Cohn method. You just basically deny, 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 and you don't accept any evidence against you. He also said that the um, Watergate impeachment was a complete partisan affair, which is completely true if you ignore all the Republicans who supported it. (laughs) Great. 
You know, you're famous, legendary for your mastery of all of the littlest uh, revealing facts about uh, this history. Let's talk about Earl Landgrebe. <laughs> you know, Earl Landgrebe was a guy who was so out there in the context of 1974 that his very name became kind of a synonym for a long time afterwards for kind of lunatic, crazy, out there, wackadoodle extremism. But I think today he probably would be very high in the leadership of the Republican Party, don't you think? Earl Langrebe was uh, an Indiana congressman best known to that point for a scheme to smuggle Bibles into the Soviet Union secretly to, you know, basically persuade the good, dirty Russian proletariat that Christianity was the answer to all their woes. But basically, he went on the Today Show the morning before Nixon's resignation and said that he would be supporting his president, even if you had to drag him out of there and shoot him. The NBC reporter said, uh, but what about the smoking gun evidence we have on tape that Richard Nixon had been, you know, lying for, you know, two and a half years? And Earl Langrebe famously said, don't confuse me with the facts. That's the Jim Jordan technique, just kind of to, to shout, don't confuse me with the facts and, you know, make up your own. I remember complaining about the Watergate investigation and the articles of impeachment that the House eventually voted that Nixon's real crimes, as we call them, were not his cover-up of the break-in at the Democratic National Committee headquarters. His real crimes, we said, were against the people of Vietnam, his cover-up of the way he sabotaged the peace talks, his illegal bombings of Cambodia, his overthrow of democracy in Chile. There are similar complaints today about the Democrats' current focus on Trump's dealing with Ukraine when there are so many other terrible things he's done. What do you think about this parallel? I would say two things. The first is that when the House began working on articles of impeachment, they did include an article for his secret bombing of Cambodia for which he, you know, created these double ledgers like a mafia don who would have like one ledger about, you know, his payoffs and one for the legitimate front business. But that's an important comparison to today because what happened in the House Judiciary Committee was that basically an equal number of Republicans and Democrats on the committee organized themselves into what they called a fragile coalition and said, if we're going to impeach a president, we have to do so on articles that both parties agree on. So it really proves the extent to which this was this bipartisan process that you had these kind of public-minded Republicans who are perfectly willing to uh, abandon their president if their consciences directed them to. So that's one thing. But the other part of it is, yeah, I really do think that this is problematic, this, this idea that Pelosi and Schiff have, that if you kind of bundle this into this tidy little package that the public can understand and turn the investigation only into this small what some people would consider a venial sin compared to a lot of the other things Trump did, the public will understand it better and they can better uh, persuade public opinion. I have a very different interpretation of this, which is that when Trump is acquitted, which he will be by this majority Senate, run by this authoritarian political party, the Republicans, he'll just say, basically, what are you going to do? Impeach me again, right? And he's going to see it as a blank check to do even worse things. So I think that you have to kind of go for broke. You're going to shoot the king, you can't miss. It's, it's too late now. I think they've kind of, the die is cast, but they should have made this as kind of overwhelmingly complete 
reckoning with the entire anti-constitutional conception that Trump came to the presidency with and pull everything together. You know, when they started, when Archibald Cox started his independent prosecutors investigation, they had seven different task forces about different aspects of crimes in the Nixon administration. And this stuff included taking bribes for the milk industry so the milk the milk industry could get price supports. It included, you know, an international conglomerate, international telephone and telegraph bribing the Republican Party in order to um, uh, get favorable consideration on a merger that they wanted to do. You know, it was, wasn't just Watergate and the associated cover-up. And, and that, that was also uh, a distinguishing feature of the Irvin Committee hearings was that basically they covered everything. You know, it's like they would turn over one rock and they'd find some other awful crime. So pretty soon they're talking about, you know, what you will call the Houston memo, a, a memo in 1970 from one of the staffers that recommended breaking in to uh, opponents' offices. And Nixon approved the memo, and it was kind of unapproved a couple of weeks later. You know, they got uh, into things like um, the way Nixon uses public money to uh, improve his private residences. You know, they got into things like uh, a $100,000 donation he took from a financier who was a fugitive who wanted to come back to the United States. And pretty soon this narrative was established. It wasn't a complex narrative because it was so big that what the public came away with was that the Nixon administration was corrupt from, from stem to stern. And I think that was the reason why by the time they had this smoking gun evidence, people were willing to take this extraordinary and frightening step of abandoning the president, you know, of saying that we cannot move forward as a country, as a democratic Republic with this guy in the Oval Office. Rick Perlstein. His books include The Invisible Bridge on the Fall of Nixon and the Rise of Reagan. Frank Rich called it a Rosetta Stone for Reading America and Its Politics Today, an epic work. Thank you, Rick. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, John. Take care. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.